Assalamu alaikum in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Peace be upon you all. Welcome to another show, uh, the Drive Time Show, uh, with myself, Zakaria, and I have been joined with uh, Noshirwan Ahmed, my co presenter. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and uh, how are you, brother? Assalamu alaikum, Zakaria, alhamdulillah, I'm well. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well, uh, especially because of the weather. I always say this that if the weather is good i feel even better it's not that necessarily the weather affects my uh wellness or me being uh, it just happy changes your mood doesn't it, it changes sunny, my mood yeah i feel even better basically yeah I, I couldn't agree any less i think it just uh, makes you feel more energized rather yeah. than when it's you know when it's rainy and gloomy mm. you feel like i don't know there's something inside you that you feel maybe a little uh, upset or you feel like there's not much happiness around you yes of course it's not just totally dependent on the weather but mm-hmm. this the, when the sun's out uh, the whole atmosphere around you is just different it's, it's definitely different but, but this is for me um you know being by the grace of allah allah has blessed me with you know you can say with a house um allah has blessed me with where i'm where i'm at at the moment it has no wars so far so i you know thank god almighty immensely because of you know whatever god has given to me uh, so at the moment i feel you know happy because i'm not going through these struggles the reason i mentioned first of all uh, i have a house to live i live in a house and i am not in a ward uh, you know in a country which is involved in war directly or is influenced by a war, you can say. And the reason I said this is because in our uh, these two hours from four uh, till six, in the first hour, we will be discussing about uh, the matter of homelessness. Um, you know, families who do not have any homes to stay um, and the issue and the records are actually increasing and you know lots of people are staying in in a temporary house where where they don't even know if they will have a house after you know you know wherever they're staying and some people don't don't even have houses right so if i go to many places in london even um you know i see lots of people staying in streets and especially you know as we said it's good weather we feel good so in uh, whenever it's good weather they have a bit more comfort uh you can say than usual days because imagine when it's raining or when uh it's snowing and, and when it's freezing cold how their circumstances how they will be living outside because it's 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 horrible isn't it yeah yeah i totally agree um and it's this is such a topic that it's really um it's really like it's it's a struggle for those that are facing um such time yes um, it's a challenging time for them mm-hmm. um and as human beings uh, we do feel their pain as well yes. and their suffering that although um we do not have any blood connection or relation with them mm-hmm. but we do have the the feeling of humanity mm. the pain that they feel um we we also feel um when they're going through such uh, trials or such um difficult times yes and um 
sometimes you know we li- sometimes certain people they live in very comfortable conditions they 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 live uh, uh, maybe let's say in let's say posh areas or po- areas where they do not see uh, people living on the streets mm-hmm. but in reality it is true even within london there are a lot of areas where people are living out on the streets or yeah. people are struggling um, to afford let's say their rents and they are having to go to these temporary accommodations mm. um and it's just that some people they do turn their blind eye from it and yeah. they do not uh, pay attention or they don't know what they should be doing mm. and i think it's it's great topic to discuss and i think to enlighten our listeners yeah. on um the actual seriousness of this subject mm-hmm. the seriousness of um what we can do what those people that are actually in these accommodations or are struggling to find uh, such uh, accommodations to stay in um i think it's it's really beneficial for them yeah definitely it will be beneficial for for everyone even for me as well as i as uh, both for both of us as we are discussing about this topic and hopefully it will be beneficial for those who are listening to us if you want to get involved you can always call us at 02086877878 that's 02086877878 and if you want to listen to any of our shows um um previous shows or future shows you can always visit our website which is voiceofislam.co.uk also you can follow us at voiceofislam.uk uh in our social media platforms um so you're always welcome to uh you know get involved whenever you want because you know as we have opinions as we have feelings for those who are in pain uh who are struggling um and I'm pretty sure that you also have the same feelings now if you look at uh, the numbers of people living in temporary accommodations in England um we see that it has hit a 25 year high according to the latest official figures and almost 105,000 households were in temporary accommodation including more than 131,000 children on 31st of March this year and this figure is 10% up on the same day last year uh, the department for leveling up housing and communi- communities data shows that in Plymouth uh one mum told us actually this is from BBC um she told the BBC news uh of the cramped conditions living in a hotel this latest figure for temporary accommodation surpasses a previous high of 101300 reach in 2004 and is the highest since record began in 1998 and the figures also show almost 14000 households were in hotels or bed and breakfast in bed and breakfast in the 3 months to march and today um we will discuss the contribute contributing factors the consequences potential solutions and of course as our radio station is um a voice of islam so we also reflect uh the issues nowadays issues on the is- islamic perspective as well because you know 
as 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 a believer of of God and His prophets and Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, you know we find that the solutions are also in religion as well. Yeah, just before we go on, um, obviously we're we're going to discuss various Islamic perspectives. Yeah, um, I remember just um, when we had our annual convention uh, at the end of July. In the final day speech, um, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, um, he had mentioned um, that Islam's teachings are so beautiful and that if they are followed, you can find the solutions to all the problems in the world, mm-hmm. right? And Islam's teachings are not just for one people or one era, they're just universal, therefore yeah. They look they cater for every type of human being, whether they're poor, whether they're rich, whether they are needy. And and if they in essence, if they are followed and they, they that is the solution to the to all the world problems, right? Yeah. And there's a there's a saying of the Holy Prophet, um Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Prophet uh, of Islam taught that Allah the Almighty was most pleased by those who helped the poor, who filled their empty stomachs and who arranged medical treatment for them. Hence, if a person claims to be a true Muslim, it is his obligation and overriding duty to assist all those who are facing difficulties and to strive to alleviate their distress and heartache. Mm-hmm. You know, this is such a beautiful um, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be all of Allah be upon him. Yes. He said that we need to look out for mm-hmm. um, those that are facing uh, difficulties, those mm-hmm. who are poor. It's, it is our obligations as Muslims. Yeah. That if you see a a poor person who is hungry, we should fill fill their stomachs. Mm-hmm. We should uh, arrange for their medical uh, treatment. Yes. And you know, once I think if you go out and actually implement those things in your day to day life, um, whether that person is Muslim or not, right? Mm. The person who is in need, you don't. It doesn't matter whether he's a Muslim. At the end of the day, he is a human being. So when I've seen it on a, a number of occasions that when I help someone in whichever way it is, whether it's financially, whether it's uh, support uh, mentally or physically, I feel happy within myself. Yes. Right. And it's not that I feel um, great of myself that I've done this uh, mm-hmm. act or this deed. It's just that once you help someone, you feel yeah. your inner satisfaction. It's you feel like, it's like you've done something good. That's so true. I mean, uh, I remember... Um, in New Year's, um, you know, sometimes what we as Ahmadi Muslim communities do is um, we prepare meals, yeah. right? Not just for New Year specifically, but for, for other occasions as well, which is related to, you know, uh, holidays, you can say. On those days, we do prepare meals. And you've probably been involved in that as well, that we prepare these meals and we go uh, to places where a lot of homeless people, you know, stay staying, yeah. um, in busy cities, and you know, then we announce that as well to the people around, or we go to homeless people and we give the the meals prepared, and the smile that we find, you know, the the smile that they give, mm. uh, you know, it makes you your day literally. Yeah, it makes so you happy. It, it makes you happy, even if that someone doesn't smile and just takes the food, you know that. You know, maybe that person didn't have any meal, and uh, you know you have given something to eat. So 
you have helped that person and it it's the, like you said it's an inner satisfaction that yeah, you feel right. the same thing you know i have it as well i'm pretty sure that anyone who helps out people anyone in need right they they would feel the satisfaction and happiness as well in themselves definitely uh, and you're, you 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 uh, you know also said uh, you know you also quoted a hadith a saying of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him um, and I believe there is another hadith. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's a, uh, and it's in my own words that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings upon him has said that uh, if someone knowingly sleeps, you know, his stomach fill, but he knows that his neighbor or someone around him has not had a meal or is sleeping empty stomach that certain person you know is not a muslim or a believer right yeah. so such a profound saying of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him that you know he said that if you want to be a true muslim a true believer a true believer of god almighty then it is your duty to make sure that if you know people around you th- uh, who you know, might go empty stomach mm, to sleep, to sleep yeah. then you're not a true believer. So y- it's your responsibility to go and, and feed that person and then you can fill your own stomach and then go to sleep in, in, in peace, right? Yeah. So, so, so at the end of the day, it just goes back to the fact that fulfilling the rights of God Almighty yes. is important. Yeah. But equally important is to fulfill the rights of mankind. Yeah. God's creation mm-hmm. because you can't do one or the other and separate the two yeah, you true. have to do both and helping humanity mm. is equally as important to um, fulfilling the rights of God Almighty that's so true so just coming back to um, like the homelessness that we're facing within England and you, you've mentioned staggering figures how um, the it's just been on a rise yeah. um, ever since and especially this year uh, but there are a number of um, f- factors that are contributing to uh, homeless families, mm-hmm. uh, f- like such as there are, you know, the social uh, causes of hom- homelessness, mm-hmm. um, such as a lack of affordable housing, uh, poverty, and unemployment, and certain life events, uh, events which push people into homelessness. Uh, people are also forced into homelessness when they leave prison, care, or the army, yeah. and with no home to go to. Many women experiencing homelessness have escaped a violent or abusive relationship. That's also a, a factor. Many people become homeless because they can no longer afford the rent. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a, one of like the big factors yeah. because you know living, the um, cost is rising. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of people that have some people have gone into unemployment mm-hmm. and just affording the rent. And the rents have been increasing for the last uh, few years. Yeah, I think that is that could be one of the major co- causes of homelessness. Mm. And for many, life events like a relationship breakdown, losing a job, mental or physical health problems, or substance misuse put people under con- considerable strain. Being homeless can, in turn, make many of these problems even harder to resolve. Yeah. However, like in, in nearly all cases, cases homelessness. Um, is preventable and in every case it can be ended yeah it it definitely can be ended i mean you just you know mentioned that um people who come out from jail right um it, the, the, you know many of them they probably gone 
to uh, the jail because they have done or they have committed a huge crime and and I think the family members sometimes they don't want to be associated and then they leave the family and especially they because they have been in the jail for so long you know they slowly slowly start forgetting uh, the the the, the p- member of the family who stays in the in jail uh, but it's very unfortunate of course that many of them when they come out they don't have any place to stay and then they will have to look for a job uh and then for that certain moment they stay uh in the streets but uh i remember in the time of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him uh the people who were captured as war prisoners, war yeah. prisoners um and 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 also um back in the days because it was a custom to have slaves but then the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him he you know actually was the one person or the one prophet he actually taught his believers to free slaves and he said that you know the way he taught us to free slaves is because slaves are basically in your captives right your captives and when you uh, free them they they will be homeless right because you tell them okay you can you're free you can go wherever you want the holy prophet you know in his teachings he said that um you know you will enter the heaven if you teach your slave a um a sort of skill that will allow them whenever they free to work and earn for themselves and you know and provide for their family and for them for themselves as well and this will lead you to jannah or this will lead you to heaven mm-hmm. and this is what his teachings were you know mm-hmm you know 1400 years ago so we can learn definitely a lot from the life and the teachings of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him but maybe uh, you know prisoners when before they are released maybe uh, they they could you know the, the the government they could you know teach them uh, some skills so that uh, as soon as they leave their houses they can immediately find some something to to do i think uh, because they their lives were different maybe they were involved in crimes but if you teach them a skill they will not go back to the same things that they were doing before yeah. if they if they leave uh, the, the um uh, leave jail isn't it so you were mentioning some of the you know factors uh, which contribute to homeless families could you mention some more um please so <coughs> known as core homelessness um you know as i've already mentioned a few of the different examples of um why people become homeless hmm. um which you explained one of them as well um so you know known as core homelessness it includes rough sleeping people living in sheds garages and other unconventional buildings sofa surfing hostels and unsuitable temporary accommodation such as bed and breakfast um so it's not necessarily that all the um homelessness involves um staying outside or living in the street mm-hmm. um there's different different things um uh, temporary accommodations is one hostels or um and other people some people are living in sheds and garages even yeah. <coughs> so on any given night tens of thousands of families and individuals are experiencing the worst forms of homelessness across great britain mm. and this includes just more than 200,000 households in England alone. 
I mean, that is wow. just a staggering number. Just, staggering just number, put yeah. it into perspective. And you know, on the, for the for the for last five years or so, the core homelessness has been rising each year in England, and homelessness has reached a peak in 2019 when the numbers of homeless pe- households jumped from 207,600 in 2018 to over 219,000 at the end of 2019. Well, so that's, that's an increase of just over uh, under uh, over 12,000. Yeah, just under twelve thousand. Yep. Wow. And yeah, by the end of twenty twenty one, two hundred twenty seven thousand households across Britain were experiencing core homelessness. I mean, uh, the the figures just keep seems to keep rising, uh, yeah. rising year by year. Yeah. And I think if you go back to what I said in the beginning, if people do understand the teaching of Islam, and if the teaching of Islam are practiced um, throughout the world. By each and every individual, then I think that it could play a huge factor into into helping these people, mm-hmm. and is a solution for the world if they adhere to the teachings of Islam. Um, in one place, uh, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, mm-hmm. said that serving humanity is itself a form of worship of Allah. Yeah. Mm. And at another place, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said. My state is such that if someone is in distress whilst I am engaged in the obligatory prayers and I hear their grief it is my ardent desire to break the prayer and to try to help that person and to shower them with as much love as possible. Hmm. Um and just one more further he further mentioned in a place the promised messiah peace be upon him further said to fail to help a brother in their time of need or difficulty is utterly immoral and wrong i mean all these teachings um as we know the promised messiah came to revive to bring back the true teachings of islam the true teachings of the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him and his sayings and 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 the the sayings or the the quotes that you've just mentioned are basically a reflection of the life of the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him right so there's so many things and one thing comes uh, into mind as well uh, there's one quote of the promised messiah and i will quote this and this is in my own words and i believe that the promised messiah alislam at one place said that um my believers or someone who sees a hindu neighbor's um house being burned or a, a christian neighbor or a neighbor that has a different faith um he's uh, you know house been burned and i think he also says that he, he or she is in need uh, you know he's uh, in need for your help and you do not go and help that certain person you don't belong to my uh community, community yeah you, you are not amongst us right and this is the true teaching of islam this is what the the messiah of this age has taught us and you know i would invite the people um you know the, the rest of the world also and the listeners as well to you know to learn about the teachings of the promised messiah of the you know the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community hazrat mirza gulam ahmed uh, of qadian uh, peace be upon him i think it's these teachings are not anything from outside islam it these is teachings not, yeah. are 
in direct accordance with Islam and it's what the Holy Prophet yeah. peace be upon him has taught the world and he's just come to revive those teachings exactly. explain to people that these were the original teachings mm-hmm. we should continue it we've mentioned these uh, the sayings of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him earlier about yeah. helping the needy helping the poor people mm-hmm. and the promise of Sire peace be upon him has has re-emphasized those points yeah. that helping the poor helping the needy is our obligation it's obligations it of Muslims to do such things Yeah. so yeah our listeners should go and um um, check these teachings and learn about them and see um, what Islam Ahmadiyyat is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now look at some. Uh, let's let's look at some more uh, factors of um, uh, you know uh, which 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 contributes to homelessness. Um, y- 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 we see that um, uh, the. The, the strain of uncertain housing situation, uh, situations places immense pressure on family relationships and social networks as well, often uh, exacerbating existing tensions. Moreover, homeless families are at an increased risk of exploitation and abuse due to their vulnerability, uh, lacking stable living conditions and support networks to shield them from any harm and that's also an, uh, another thing that um, exploitation actually happens when someone is not uh, you know protected um, in their houses when they're in the streets they're more vulnerable and then you know they will look at things easier easier uh, options wh- wherever is uh, you know available and if someone wants to exploit uh, homeless people, and especially uh, children, it's very easy for them to do, and it's very, very, you know, worrying. Um, and then another factor is the accessing education and healthcare, uh, which has become a significant challenge, uh, disrupting children's learning and preventing families from receiving necessary medical attention, and ultimately, the cycle of poverty. Intensifies, intensifies as the absence of stable housing perpetuates limited upward mobility, um, creating a harsh cycle that hinders families from escaping these dire circumstances. Um, I mean, so many factors, so many things that you know affect um, you know homeless people. Uh, there's a record um, from uh, this is from Playmouth. Um, and it came in BBC report that homeless families are facing challenging uh, circumstances in Plymouth. Chantal Walton, a 21-year-old mother, was observed tending to her two children outside a hotel and her five-week-old son, Jack, and 17-month-old daughter, Lily, um, and they have been living in a single hotel room since they were made homeless due to a Section 21 eviction notice. And Chantel's partner worked as an engineer, but their young age, you know, made it difficult for them to find housing without a guarantor. And the family's room lacks proper cooking facilities, leading them to often, you know, eat out. So these are just one of the so many uh families example uh, of of um, you know the struggles that they're going through um now Playmouth is currently 
hosting over 200 families in hotels and beds and, and, and breakfast, uh, with the local council expected to spend 6.8 million to support them this year, a stark increase from five years ago. The city's housing lead, Chris Pemberthy, criticised the broken system due to the insufficient availability for uh, affordable housing. And this has resulted in a growing waiting list, leaving families in temporary accommodation with no options for stable housing. The situation underscores the dire need for an improved social support system to provide housing solutions and assistance to families facing homelessness. I mean, um, this is just an example of Playmouth, um, where you know two hundred families are in hotels, but then there are many others who, you know, don't even have a place to stay, right? But you know, we should be thankful to the the government that at least there is you know some sort of um, you know facility, uh, or they've been facilitated to stay somewhere instead of staying you know um, on the streets, right? So. Uh, that's that's a, a plus point you can say. Uh, now we were mentioning about the teaching of the Promised Messiah, Islam. Let me quote another, um, you know, uh, a saying of the Promised Messiah, where he said that treat all the creation of God with such deep love as though they are your close family members. Further on, he states that treat mankind in the same way that a mother treats her child. This is the way you should be and not that you help someone only so that you can attain benefit later or take a favor in return. Wow, such a beautiful teaching. I mean, um, treat your loved one with such love, such deep love as they are your close family members. And then he says that treat them in such a way that, you know, you feel like they're your own brother or own sister from the same mother yeah i mean uh you know it, it's such beautiful teaching and if beautifully um uh, described of beautifully explained how we should treat our fellow human beings um i can't think of even a better a way to you know explain for example your fellow brother to you know no, or treat your brother like he, he, you treat your own brother, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, very beautifully explained. I mean, what would you like to say about uh I about think, this? yeah, of course. Um, it goes in direct um, relation to how Islam has taught um, for, for humans to treat each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have been told to care for those people who are not your family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, treat them how they are like your family members. Yeah. And... In another place, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has said um, in chapter 16, verse 91 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has instructed Muslims to act with justice and to do good to all others. Hence, you must treat even those people with love who have done no good to you. In fact, you should go beyond this and you should favor them and care for them as a mother cares for her child. If you understand like, the, the, the love that a mother has for her children, it's remarkable. It's a yeah. it's a love that can not be matched um, with anyone else. Mm. And the love, the care, the feelings a mother has for her child, the the crying 
of a child uh, makes the mother panic, like in a hope that their child is okay. So the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, is stating that you shouldn't seek any reward or any any good in return, but you should go and look after your human beings and care for them, just the same way a mother is cares for her children. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, this is a teaching of the Holy Quran, but I'm I'm pretty sure that the promised Messiah also have mentioned a similar type of. Yep. Yeah, so it's uh, a teaching of the Holy Quran. Yeah. yeah. That Muslims should act with justice and mm-hmm. do good to others. Yes. So promised Messiah, peace be upon him, is further explaining yeah. that this is what it means. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is such a magnificent, magnificent and noble teaching. And we have all seen that the pure love that a mother has for a child, a mother has no expectation of rewards from no. their child. They're completely uh, still in their uh, young age. Nor does she seek any recognition. All the while, she loves her child more than she loves herself. Yeah. and never weakens in her resolve to nourish and protect her offspring, their so, children. So the moral of the, uh, or, or the gist of the, the verse that you've just mentioned and uh, the teaching of the, Holy, uh, of the Holy Quran and the teaching of the Promised Messiah is that do care of your brothers and sisters um, in need in, 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 uh, in a way that a mother would care for their own, own child, isn't it? Yeah. Um, not expecting anything in in, in return uh, because if you every single time you're going to do something and you expect uh, something in return then you won't end up doing anything because a lot of people who are in need they will not be able to do something in return yeah. right because they're not in a state of doing so so um, but if you have that pain like a mother has for her child that that person you know that the child is in need I need to help my child similarly if you would go and help that certain person as as a mother you can say or as a brother then you know that certain person will you know Allah Ta'ala will be pleased with that God Almighty will be pleased with your actions and and you mentioned it earlier as well and in our show we mentioned it many times and people do not realize how important the fact is that when we look at the rights of God Almighty, and yes, indeed, the the Holy Quran, the Bible, and the other scriptures teach you to worship God Almighty. But the in order to fulfill the rights of God Almighty, you need to fulfill the rights of His creation. That means your fellow brethren, right? And that is, you know, if they are in need, you need to fulfill their rights because you are living in this world. Indeed, God has created every facility in this world for us, but it is not being distributed justly. It is not being utilized justly. So because of the injustices, and that is not because God made it unjust, no, because humans, they have, you know, made it unjust and if humans had the same sort of passion as as god has for his creation then you know uh, you know no human would have suffered right so this is what i want to say that if you want to fulfill god's rights then you have to fulfill the rights of your fellow human beings isn't it yeah that's completely correct and you know when you mention 
um, the teachings of Islam, uh, the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, yeah. and also the teachings of uh, what the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has said. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've just said these things and they're saying it for others, but their entire lives was practically full of these examples. Yeah. They, it wasn't just that they used to say to their followers, they used to teach these teachings, but they used to also apply it in their day-to-day lives. And the way they're mentioning, uh, they have mentioned how you should help those that are needy, those that are poor, and care for them. Their life was a beautiful example of of exactly this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, incumbent on all Muslims to follow the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, follow his actions as he did, yeah. and adhere to what he had mentioned. So, you know, we're talking about homelessness and um, what are some of the factors that are causing homelessness and uh, what is exactly happening in England. Some people do say that perhaps it could be that the system is broken. Hmm. But what, is it, what does that exactly mean? Yeah. So the figures also indicate a notable increase in homelessness among older people with a 33.3% rise in homeless households categorised by age-related priority in the year up to March 31. So advocates attribute this trend to a housing shortage worsened by the government's three-year freeze on local housing allowance rates. So... This freeze has made much of the country unaffordable for households reliant on housing benefits for rent. Meanwhile, you know, the landlords themselves are leaving the rental sector in various areas due to high rents and financial pressures. So they could be saying that the, the government is imposing these laws and these mm-hmm. restrictions that is it's um, difficult for those that are renting yep. to afford the rent. And those that are the landlords, uh, it's difficult for them due to their high rent and financial pressures. Yep. Yeah, so Dorothy, Dorothy Dawson, a landlord in Devon, decided to sell her property after 16 years of renting it out. She cites the forthcoming ban on no-fault evictions and rising costs as reason behind her choice, noting that her buy-to-let mortgage would triple while other charges have been also been increased between tenants. As a result, the venture has become financially untenable for her. Mm-hmm. So th- this is just one of the ex- many examples that, you know, these uh, landlords, they are giving up uh, where when they used to rent um, to tenants before. Now, there's just that they can't afford... Um, to keep these tenants because of just the the high um, cost of living and yeah. just the the different rates that are being increased, um, it's just um, it's not possible for to for them to afford um, and to keep on receiving the rent that they're receiving. But on top, they they um, there's more charges being applied to them hmm. to, in order to to keep on renting it. Yeah. We'll continue with uh, you know with our discussion, uh, but we'll go to a short break and we'll be back straight after the break. Just uh, do not go anywhere. Stay with us, and we'll be back after the break. What is Ahmadiyat One Hundred and One? Ahmadiyat One Hundred and One is a brand new series explaining the beliefs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in a simple, easy to understand format. These videos are for everyone, whether you are a fellow Ahmadi or just here to fulfill your curiosity. This is your platform to learn and find out more. This series is exclusive to MTA Online One, the official YouTube channel of MTA International. So, 
subscribe and turn on your notifications so you don't miss a single video. Post your questions in the comment section and we will answer them in future videos. This is Ahmadiyat 101, making Islam Ahmadiyat simple. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome back to the Drive Time Show. Um, just before the break, uh, we were discussing about uh, the topic homelessness in in the UK and how the numbers have been increasing, the statistics have are alarming. Uh, the issue goes beyond the numbers. It's being uh, it's about the the lives which are impacted, the dreams shattered, and the psychological toll on the families who are affected of being homeless. Um, you know, that's you know, it's 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 very horrible. And in the face of this crisis, you know, compassion, empathy, and the collective action becomes uh, imperative. And uh, uh, Brother Nosh, uh, Brother Noshawan, you were just discussing about uh, if the system is broken or not. Um, what are the issues? Uh, you were, you know, uh, mentioning few um, uh, statistics as well. Um, yes, yeah, so I briefly mentioned yeah. that the fact that uh, the government's imposed three-year freeze on local housing mm-hmm. uh, allowance rates, uh, which is um, restricting the tenants to find uh, rented properties. Um, where meanwhile the landlords are also struggling with the uh, um, high rents and financial pressures um, mm. due to which they are having to sell their houses rather than renting them out yeah. it's just that the rates are just increasing mm-hmm. um, the chief executive of crisis Matt Downey he emphasizes that the lack of investment in housing benefit and social housing construction is leading to families being trapped in temporary accommodation so the government is not um, including more they're, they're cutting perhaps cutting down the cost of housing benefit and social housing ac- construction yep. um, they're not building as many houses as in, uh, opposed to those people that are homeless the figures are not matching um, that's why it's just leading to increased of um, homelessness um, a government representative responds stating that over th- uh, over the three years two billion pounds has been allocated to help support local authorities in addressing homelessness and rough sleeping and with the focus areas most in need. The government also points out that its efforts to enhance the availability of social housing aiming to deliver 300,000 new homes annually and investing £11.5 billion in constructing affordable homes and quality homes to address the country's housing needs. So the government is in fact um, trying to do as much as they can. They're trying to fund to create these, um, construct these homes so that they can alleviate and remove this homelessness from its country mm-hmm. um, uh, to to what extent it's possible for them. Yeah. Uh, I know creating this much bigger of a budget that's going into billions um, and helping to create, um, to remove this problem. And hmm. uh, I, I know that it's it's tough um, but as long as we can see that the government is trying to support its people, whether it's in the form of temporary homes um, or trying to do as much as they can just to provide uh, some sh- uh, sh- uh, sort of shelter for those people that are homeless, yeah. um, I guess we can't 
be we can't take it for granted either. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if the if you are being provided some sort uh, sort of shelter and some sort of accommodation, whether mm. it's it's in difficult circumstances, um, then I guess you need to accept it. Um, be patient, because government is trying to invest more, and of course you can't just build houses um, in just days. Yeah. Um, it takes time. Projects are long, um, and if they are trying to invest and trying to construct construct more homes to remove the problem, then um, we should give them some time because the the problem is on a rise on a yearly basis. Yeah. Whether um, the solution is as quick as that or whether the government is eager to remove it, mm-hmm. um, that is something we need to find out. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned that we can we should be patient. Uh, it's not that the government is not doing anything; uh, they are. But then you know. Uh, building the houses for those who are in need and uh, you know who are homeless, it takes time. Um, and and the Holy Quran also says in Allah Sabirin, which means God is with those who are who have patience, right? And you have also and myself, uh, I've realized that if I get something immediately, I won't be that grateful for it. Grateful for it. Whereas if I'm if I want something and I'm patient. And I'm praying for it, and then I, I receive that from God Almighty. I'm so much happier. You consider thing. that a reward for your prayers, exactly, and 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 a reward for my patience as well. Um, and the Holy Quran in chapter four, verse thirty-seven, God Almighty says, "And worship Allah and associate not with Him, and show kindness to your parents and the kindred, and the orphans and the needy." And to the neighbor that is a kinsman, and the neighbor that is a stranger, and the companion by your side, and the wayfarer, and those whom your right hands possess, surely Allah loves not the proud and the boastful. From this verse, you know, we can learn Muslims, not just Muslims, everyone, whoever is, you know, uh, is listening to us, uh, you know, they should take care for their neighbors and uh, their relatives um, uh, you know it's a duty of every human being especially f- a duty of a true Muslim to fulfill the rights of the needy and the orphans and it instructs Muslims to be benevolent and to treat anyone um, under the supervision with love, patience and affection this is our duty this is a duty of a true believer um and 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 if you do not fulfill this duty you cannot call yourself a a true believer or a true muslim um the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him his actions and his sayings are also a reflection of the holy quran um you know he at one place said that do not consider any act of kindness insignificant even meeting your brother with a cheerful face is um it, it, you know an act of kindness right um and then another place uh, the holy prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him uh, in fact uh, the promised messiah uh, the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community uh, he said that man is a social animal the entire human race is like one family so if one part of the body is in pain the entire body is in pain so uh, 
very beautifully explained that um, if your fellow human being or fellow brother is um, in pain, then you should feel like you're in pain as well. Definitely. And and yeah. the whole mankind is like a limb. Uh, it's it's like a, it's like a whole body, and and a, a human being is like a limb of your body, right? Any human being, if they are in pain, doesn't matter if they are related to you or not, then you should feel the pain as well. Yes, yeah, so uh, Zakaria, as we're coming towards the end of the hour, um, you know there are some potential solutions to remove homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big crisis. It's something that the country is struggling with. Yeah, but. Um, Hopefully, those days, these days of struggle, would be over for the country, and we would see the light at the end of the road. Hopefully, yes. So, addressing the crisis of homeless families requires a multifaceted approach involving a combination of strategies, initiatives aimed at creating affordable housing, and implementing rent control policies are pivotal in offering stable living conditions and preventing families from fall- falling into homelessness. That's perhaps something that the government can do. Make um, the rents; um, they could control the rents. That mm-hmm. this is the certain amount of rent that uh, that could be placed in a criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, whether this house is, a, let's say, five bedroom, and for five bedroom house, this is the max amount of rent. Perhaps you can charge the the landlord can charge. Maybe placing certain uh, certain policies like that yep. could perhaps um, um, be important for the those that are tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam started in the city of Mecca in Arabia in the early 7th century. Uh, here they were persecuted. So after 13 years of preaching and teaching Islam, they were forced to migrate to a northern city of Medina. Why am I mentioning this? Is because they also became refugees, homeless and penniless. Yep. The generous Muslims of Medina welcomed them and shared their homes with them. Yep. I know we've in the past in Voice of Islam, we've discussed... Um, um, helping others and letting them stay in your homes um yeah. orphanage for example like that they care, they care for children but opening your doors for these children who are orphans or they they do not have anywhere to stay similarly is this case for for your fellow be- human beings if they are homeless and they do not have anywhere to stay uh, open your doors for them yeah open and shower your love with them this and is a teaching 1400 years ago from of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace yep. and blessings of Allah upon him. And then recently, UK also, you know, they they also said that whoever opens their door for the refugees from uh, Ukraine, um, you know, we will provide them, uh, we will financially support them. And this is a, you know, you can say that the UK government also followed the teachings of the Holy Prophet, isn't it? Yeah. That's true. And yeah, so just how when they were forced to migrate, the generous Muslims of Medina, hmm. they welcomed them, they were generous to them, and they sh- they cared for them like they were their brothers. Yeah. So recognizing the critical role of mental health and addiction treatment programs is essential. You know, certain people, because of this this whole struggle that they're facing, they're going through a really tough time. Yeah. Uh, so that is something that needs to be looked into. The, to ensure the effectiveness of this these efforts... Collaboration between government agent agencies, non-profit organizations, and the private sector are important. Yes. Right. They need to work together as they can resource and they can bring in their expertise and influence to create a comprehensive network of mm. support for families striving to rebuild their lives. Mm. 
We are at the end of the show. Uh, the hour just went flew by, actually. And, uh, you know, I hope you have benefited from our discussion. I hope you, you know, also whenever you're able, you are also a part of helping those who are in need, those who are homeless. Um, we also have, you know, uh, reflected on the teachings of the the Holy Quran, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of uh, 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 peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, you know, he emphasizes the value of generosity and empathy and helping others. And he said, the upper hand is better than the lower hand. And begin with those for whom you are responsible. Um, this hadith, you know, underscores the responsibility we have towards our neighbors, which includes the homeless families in our communities. May we be inspired to do our part in alleviating the suffering of homeless families, embodying the teachings of our faith and the vision of the promised Messiah. Let's work together towards a world where everyone has a safe and stable place to call home. Um, we're at the end of the show. Um, we will be back after the break, so do not go anywhere. Stay um, listening and we in in the second hour I, I, I think i didn't i didn't mention but in the second hour we will be discussing about yemen the forgotten war so stay with us and here is the five o'clock news you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on dab and via the internet 24 hours a day assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome back to our show peace be upon you all um as we promised in this hour, we will be discussing about the topic of um, uh, of the forgotten war in Yemen. Um, in our discussion earlier, we were discussing how fortunate we are to live in a country which is not a war-torn country, which is not uh, affected by war. Um, and 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 we also mentioned about homelessness but the war is something that affects everything you know from death to homelessness to uh, not having education or not not even having the proper food you need right so it's it's a uh, it's in 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 today's hour and this hour the 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 war that has been forgotten that is not been highlighted by the media this is what we are going to discuss because not everyone is aware of this war it is not been highlighted as it should be highlighted and not much is been done to this you know issue um the topic the forgotten war the term the forgotten war is most often associated with the yemeni civil war which you know commenced in 2014 and evolved into a multifaceted um, and devastating conflict in involving various parties. Unlike other well-known conflicts like those in Syria or Iraq, the conflict in Yemen has received um, relatively little media attention, as I mentioned before, and consequently. Uh, there has been limited public awareness and understanding of the magnitude of the unfolding humanitarian crisis in Yemen. As the conflict in Yemen enters its sixth year, so continuously six years of war, 
and many of us we are aware of it and there are no apparent indications um, of it subsiding instead uh, civilians of all ages and from various religions in the country continue to suffer the consequences of the military hostilities and unlawful actions perpetrated by both state and non-state armed groups human rights violating violations including what could amount to the war crimes are being committed throughout the country so lots of injustice is happening um which we don't see um any positive outcome we don't see this war to be stopping anytime soon islam is a religion of peace and forbids wars and conflicts those who are involved in this war those parties they have nothing to do with the true teachings of islam um you know and it's it's an issue of uh, the sex shiites and, and and the sunnis um but uh, the leaders of the parties they have nothing to do with 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 islam because the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know he teaches and he disliked uh war so much so that you know uh, brother nashawan you know um correct me if i'm wrong i believe that the most disliked uh jihad uh was uh, the, the most disliked thing was him going to wars if it was not a command of allah taala of god almighty if it wasn't uh if he was not bound to do wars for for protecting himself and the community protecting islam yeah protecting islam and other religions he would never have gone to to wars um and this was indeed for you know the, the for for protecting themselves but you know the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know he said and he warned us that beware of oppression for oppress uh, oppression will be darkness on the day of resurrection and beware of stinginess because it destroyed those who were before you it incited them to shed their blood and deem unlawful as lawful join us in this exploration as we dig deeper into this traumatic matter while looking at the islamic and the quranic references and 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 the and the teachings of the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him and his messiah and and his caliphs as well but uh, you know before we delve in more into this topic i would like to um invite our first guest of this hour um we have with us ghalib muhammad who is a yemeni humanitarian activist he currently resides in capital city sana in yemen so he himself is in yemen and he knows the situation and he studied business administration and is currently 46 years old um and a father of six with this intro i would like to welcome brother ghalib assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and uh, welcome to our show wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh okay thank you very much brother ghalib for uh, you know um, joining us on the phone uh to discuss about uh, the matter or the issue in 
uh, in Yemen. Uh, could you provide an overview of the current situation in Yemen and the impact of the ongoing conflict on the lives of Yemeni people? Firstly, l- let me thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate uh, and talk about my country, Yemen, and the suffering of uh, its people. Uh, it is an honor for me to, to be hosted on the Voice of Islam radio station. Uh, thanks to you and uh, to the entire staff as well, Thank as well as much. listeners. Uh, regarding the situation in Yemen, today has been nine years, nine years of this war. Uh, the situation in Yemen is still the worst humanitarian catastrophe in the modern era. More than 100,000 civilians and tens of thousands of children are dead or wounded. This unjust war destroyed all the foundations of life in all fields, such as economy and uh, health sectors, educational sectors, all these have been destroyed. Yemen right now is experiencing a famine that is unprecedented in the current era. An already poor country is getting poorer. Mm-hmm. The, the spread of poverty, the spread of poverty to is uh, going higher, increasing in a frightening way. Mm-hmm. Which Yemen will suffer for the from the for decades to come. Now, now, now there are more than eighty percent of the total population living below the poverty line. This war has led to a crumbling economy, uh, high prices of goods and uh, services like uh, clean waters, electricity, food and medical care. In the absence of job opportunities to provide an alternative source of income, all these all these uh, problems emerged during this war. Yeah, brother. These are burdens. Yeah, yeah. it seems like um, uh, I mean the country is going through a very tough situation, and uh, um, there, there seems to be a lot of suffering um, which is not being covered um, by the mainstream media, and it's been overlooked, I guess. Uh, just coming back, what motivated you to become an activist and a humanitarian? And how are you working to address the challenges that, you know, some of the challenges that we just mentioned uh, that are faced by your community? Uh, in fact, we, uh, we were, I work as a human activist. Yeah. So what motivated you mor- to become? Moral, yeah, the motive is uh, to be a human activist is the morals and principles of Islamic religion. Yes. And our uh, noble prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings peace be upon him. him. And, and secondly, our morals as a human beings. We cannot call ourselves human and keep watching silently. So I do this humanitarian work for God's sake. We work with, without payment with my wonderful team in the field. All of them are volunteers. We face many challenges, starting from collecting funds, then withdrawing the funds, all these obstacles. Uh, are imposing a problem for us 
and many others, but uh, we will not, there, there will be nothing in front of us as an obstacle or make us stop this humanitarian work. And we will remain until the last day of our lives or the end of this suffering. Yeah. So, you know, brother, you, and, just, uh, you mentioned um, a few of the challenges you're facing, um, like your homelessness and uh, medical shortage, job employment. Can you describe the, the, the overall humanitarian crisis that has resulted specifically from this conflict? Um, the issues including food, security, health care and displacement, like describe um, the overall um, result of the conflict. Yeah. I see. The, the humanitarian crisis resulting from this conflict and blockade uh, has led to many uh, problems. The lives of millions of children are at stake as a result of the ongoing conflict. The blockade and the catastrophic effects as a result of severe shortage of food. Uh, innocent people are paying the price for this war and unjust blockade. There are there are more than 80% of Yemeni families who have lost their sources of income, which made them unable to buy even the minimum amount of food. And uh, this is also affect the quality of food the quality of uh, nutrition and this is a very dangerous indicator it has uh, it has a significant impact on the rabid and frightening rise in malnutrition and uh, i think it will have serious effects on health as an entire generation in the future for children who have no immunity to the simplest diseases uh, regarding uh, food aid, uh, approximately there are 26 million people in need of food, and the lack of, uh, secure, uh, of food security. I'm not exaggerating when I told you that most, if not all, Yemeni families at the present time do not have enough food for a week or two weeks as a maximum. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is about the uh, food uh, shortage. About homelessness, there are also nearly about, uh, I can say, 5 million internally displaced people. Mm -hmm. They depend entirely on uh, humanitarian aid. They live a difficult and cruel life, which mm -hmm. no one can imagine. Yeah. And the, their only source income doesn't exceed a dollar or two which they earn from selling empty cans. These empty cans are collected from waste, from garbage. Yeah, this is uh, their source of income. Wow. Um, very shocking, uh, you know, um, um, news. I mean, all these things, we can't imagine, like you said, yeah. uh, the situation that they are going through. But um, how has the international community responded uh, to the Yemeni crisis and what do you believe uh, needs to be done to garner more attention and, and support from this situation? Yeah, as for the uh, international community response, uh, it remains a very simple and modest, a modest uh, response. Despite the large amount of funding allocated to Yemen, 
despite all this, nothing has changed on the ground. Mm -hmm. A slight change that is, uh, you know, for example, for several reasons, including the absence of uh, a strategy based on real studies from the field, obstacles on distribution uh, and access to aid. The Yemeni society also bears part of the problem, as you find that most of the media families and the cases registered in the report of malnutrition cases are not approved in the record of food aid in the World Food Program. While other families receive more than one food aid, I say that the United Nations and its organizations and also local organizations do not play their uh, rightful rules. They only look for funding to reap profits. They don't care about the arrival of aid to those who deserve this aid. They only care about the continuation of the work and uh, the operational wages they earn. This is what makes them insist on remaining, uh, and this is what makes me remaining in individual uh, work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you from the, the image I, I have been saying, the international response does not does his duty completely. Mm -hmm. I understand. Um, uh, with your personal uh, experience, uh, can you share some uh, stories or examples that uh, highlight the struggles uh, faced by individuals in the f and the families in the capital city Sanaa uh, due to the conflict? In fact, there are many stories, mm -hmm. mostly uh, heartbreaking stories, mm -hmm. but um, one that doesn't leave my mind is the story of uh, Ibrahim, a seven-year-old boy weighing only two kilos, his weight two kilos. Mm -hmm. This is the worst case of severe acute malnutrition. Hmm. He passed away after a journey of treatment and uh, severe uh, suffering. Uh, he died, uh, you know, his, his death was the hardest thing I went through. It shows that the true extent of the suffering, his condition deteriorated while he was in the hospital. And uh, he died while we were trying to move him to another hospital. We wanted to move him because there was no respirator inside that hospital. And he died on our way to another hospital. Mm -hmm. Now this story, uh, you know, doesn't leave my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. it's truly heartbreaking. And, you know, some of the things that you've mentioned, um, it opened my eyes for sure. And I'm sure Zakaria is always sitting here with me. Um, just, brother, lastly, um, what message would you like to convey to the global community about the situation in Yemen and the urgent need for attention and action? Yeah, you know, it is really shocking that uh, it has been nine years and the world, you know, turning a deaf air. They know nothing about, mostly they know nothing about the war in Yemen. So we, we call on the international media to shed light on the, on the war in Yemen. 
We also call on the international community to show solidarity with civilians and put pressure on the parties, you know, the conflicting parties, to end this war and siege and open uh, both uh, airports and crossings. And at the end, they should, uh, you know, end uh, the war in general. We also call the, you know, uh, influential countries to put pressure on the conflicting parties to stop this war. This war is uh, unjust. Thank you, Brother Ghalib. Um, may Allah, the Almighty, may God Almighty alleviate your difficulties, your problems and enable Yemen to flourish as a country as it was in the past. Uh, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allah. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. So that was uh, Ghalib Mohammed uh, Al-Sudmi, um, a Yemeni humanitarian activist, currently uh, resides in the capital uh, of Yemen in Sana'a. Uh, very heart-touching um, you know, discussion we had with him, um, you know, he opens our eyes and, and, and really th- these incidents, these the things that's going on, we cannot, from, from sitting here in this, in this country. Even if we Michael, see it on the media, even if we see reports on it, we cannot comprehend. We cannot comprehend. What's happening in the yeah. country itself. Hmm. Uh, obviously, Yemen and this this war itself has been underreported in the media. Yeah. Um, but just to go back um, slightly um, for our listeners who are not aware of this war, what is happening? When did it start? So, uh, Yemen's civil war began in 2014 when the Houthi insurgents, backed by Iran, took control of the capital Sana'a and demanded lower fuel prices and a new government. Um, a Saudi-led coalition launched airstrikes against the Houthis drawing Yemen into a regional proxy struggle between Sunni and Shia powers. The conflict led to a severe humanitarian crisis, with millions in need of assistance, facing famine, and affected by cholera outbreaks. The war has caused significant civilian casualties and violations of human rights and international law by all sides. The economy has splintered, exacerbating the crisis. The conflict has seen periods of escalation and ceasefire attempts, but peace remains elusive. Our brother, Brother Ghalib, um, that we just spoke to, he mentioned some of the the problems, the difficulties that they're facing um, and how the children are also suffering um, and how he yeah. uh, mentioned the uh, how the seven-year-old boy that passed away, um, I guess it's... Uh, but we we can we can play a role um sitting here even firstly we can um donate um for them uh, i'm sure there's plenty of um donations i think humanity first also the, our um charity organization uh, of the MDA muslim community they also um have these teams that go on site and provide relief or they send um aid some sort of aid to these that are um, suffering, we can all open our hands of charity and give generously, considering they are our Muslim brothers, they are our human beings, and we mentioned extensively in, in, in our first hour how we do have um, right to serve the creation of God Almighty, 
Yeah. And these are our our brothers, our sisters, our fellow human beings. So we we can we should try and give as much uh, donation as possible. Yeah. And some people if they cannot do that, we can pray for our human beings. Yeah. We can pray uh profoundly. We can pray as much as we can that may God Almighty remove their sufferings, alleviate their difficulties. Um th- there's so much happening there. Yeah. And we cannot just understand you cannot give uh, justify all the the problems that are that they are currently facing. I mean Yemen is one of the many countries um that are, is going through such a conflict or a battle. Hmm. Um Iraq, Syria, Palestine similar cases there. Um and it's really you seem to kind of wonder where is the world heading towards? Yeah. What is the solution? Hmm. Um what will happen in the future hmm. if muslims are fighting amongst each other where is the perfect teaching of islam who is yeah. to come and revive the faith and if he and how is the world going to restore into its original and beautiful teachings of islam being going to be practiced yeah um it says that people have the teachings of islam are completely beautiful mm-hmm. um they have taught the best to everyone but it's just that people have forgotten those teachings people yeah. are not coming back to the original teachings of islam mm-hmm. and especially in this day and age the promised messiah peace be upon him the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community has come to revive islam mm-hmm. and the teachings which he has continued what he's mentioned and how he's revived islam if those are not adhered to the world is continue is going to continue to suffer because of this distort teachings that we are currently facing yeah very rightly said uh, brother noshawan um let's look at uh, some uh, statistics of you know the children uh, being involved or being uh, affected by the armed conflicts um 13 million children in yemen uh, are in need of humanitarian assistance 2 million children are inter- internally displaced over 10200 children have been killed or maimed education and health services for children have been disrupted due to damage caused by fighting uh, yemeni laws permit corporal punishment of children in the home the houthis and the saudi and uae led uh, coalition, uh, coalition have committed serious violations against children including uh, indiscriminate attacks on schools and hospitals the houthis have recruited thousands of children as soldiers um, the pro government yemeni forces have also deployed children into combat and just last week in uh, the, the last week of july 38 children were killed or injured um by the conflict parties the highest number since early 2020 and in april uh the houthi signed an action plan with the un to strengthen the child protection pledging to end child recruitment killings maiming and attacks on schools and hospitals this humanitarian crisis you know continues and like we said like you said uh, brother nasherwan if you do not care of our ho- fellow human beings if you do not take heed of the teachings of the prophets and the promised messiah in order to create peace and his holiness 
also has been mentioning in several of his speeches addressing the world to stop the wars that are happening and especially and you know specifically in Yemen as well God Almighty in the Holy Quran in chapter 5 verse 9 says O ye who believe be steadfast in the cause of Allah bearing witness in equity and let not a people's enmity incite you to act otherwise than with justice be actual just that is nearer to righteousness and fear Allah surely Allah is aware of what you do and and this is it that people the if people have stopped fearing God almighty um because of you know worldliness selfishness because of their own interests they have stopped caring uh for their fellow human beings they don't care if someone gets killed or not if vulnerable people get killed or not you know uh, and this is why wars are happening and this ne- needs to stop we um had a discussion with uh, a, a guest of ours uh, Niku Jafarnia uh she is uh, the yemen and bahrain researcher at human rights watch where she investigates human rights abuses and violations in two countries uh we had this interview um let's listen to what she had to say welcome to the show niko thanks farah um, we're so glad you were able to join us thank you really happy i can speak with you today um could you please um provide an overview of the specific human rights violations that have occurred as a result of the conflict in Yemen and how have these violations been impacting the lives of Yemeni civilians yeah i mean unfortunately this conflict has gone on now for 9 almost 9 years and we've seen just the widest range of violations that have occurred throughout this both violations of human rights law and violations of international humanitarian law or the laws of armed conflict um the violations have ranged from i think what's really captured audiences in the media over the years particularly around uh, airstrikes led by the saudi led coalition um these have been there's been over 20,000 air raids throughout the conflict that have caused nine over 19,000 civilian casualties um so many of these airstrikes have been indiscriminate uh have been disproportionate have caused massive amounts of civilian harm that really can't be understated um there's been the use of landmines mainly by the houthis uh landmines and unexploded ordinances have been you know one of the greatest causes of civilian harm throughout the war and what's terrible about landmines is that they have the potential to continue causing civilian harm no long long after this conflict ends and we're already seeing that today even despite the truce that started um in April of last year even though that truce has ended a lot of the major combat operations have still uh ended at this point and yet you're seeing such a high level of civilian harm that are just being caused by landmines each month and particularly amongst children um they all parties of the conflict including the houthis the yemeni government the uae saudi arabia and various armed groups that are backed by these states have arbitrarily arrested forcibly disappeared tortured and ill-treated people across the country hundreds of yemenis have been detained at official and unofficial detention centers across the country and even though 
we have seen um, several hundred people be released just a couple of months ago. There still are so many human rights defenders, journalists, just people who have never been given a fair trial or any, you know, were mm -hmm. given zero due process period from the beginning, still remain in detention. Um, mm -hmm. Parties block. Sorry, do you want me to pause here? Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Finish up. Um, parties have also blocked and impeded humanitarian access throughout the war. Um, they've imposed unnecessary restrictions and regulations on humanitarian organizations. Um, and a lot of this has really led to what we have seen regarding the starvation that's also really talked about pretty constantly when it comes to the conflict. Uh, it is definitely not just been, you know, we talk about famine in this country and it's not famine in the way that people think of it as, as where it's an agricultural issue or mm -hmm. climate issue. It's a man-made problem that's been caused by these warring parties. Okay. So, Nico, how has the conflict in Yemen affected vulnerable groups such as women, children, and minority communities? What are the unique challenges they're facing? Yeah, I mean, when we're the population of Yemen is only around 30 million people, and around half of that number is children. Um, and 13 million children in Yemen of <laughs> Let's say um, around, I, mean, I don't have the exact numbers for how many mm -hmm. children there are in front of me at the moment, but mm -hmm. a million children are in need of humanitarian assistance. I mean, that's almost half of the entire population and a very, very, very large majority of the children's population. Um, Two million children are displaced. More than 10,000 children have been killed or maimed throughout the conflict, according to UNICEF. And they're all the warring parties have committed serious violations against them, um, including through attacking schools, hospitals, um, including creating landmines that even look or, you know, not landmines specifically, but um, explosive ordinances, essentially, that are made to look like toys, according to wow. done with the Yemeni Mine Action Center. There's there's just so many awful things that have been done to children throughout this war. Um, and continue to happen every day, particularly with deaths from landmines, which children are particularly susceptible to. Um, Yemeni women have faced restrictions across the board, um, but particularly in Houthi-controlled areas. Uh, this has been, you know, in the news a lot lately, but in Houthi-controlled areas, authorities have started requiring women to be accompanied by a mahram or a male relative in order to travel. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, this pre has prevented Yemeni women from working, particularly those who must travel. And it also applies to Yemeni female humanitarian workers and humanitarian work generally, and which has made it even more difficult for humanitarian aid organizations to carry out their work. Um, we've also done a lot of work, especially recently, to be documenting abuses that have occurred against migrants in the country. There's a very, very large um, population of migrants that are particularly coming from the Eastern Horn of Africa, including Ethiopia. And so we'll have a report coming out um, in about 11 days that's discussing the specific abuses that have been perpetrated and violations that have been perpetrated against um, Ethiopian migrants at the Saudi and Yemeni border that actually might amount to crimes against humanity. Um, what role does Human Rights Watch play in shedding light on the situation in Yemen and advocating for accountability and justice? Can you share any success stories or impactful outcomes resulting from your organization's work? 
I think what Human Rights Watch really tries to do is complement the work of the many civil society organizations that are already doing a lot of this work in Yemen. Um, there is a wide array of civil society organizations that have been doing incredible, incredible documentation work throughout this conflict and prior to the conflict to really fill in the gap that um, remains from the lack of attention from the international community and the lack of accountability from the international community for the violations throughout this war. And so I think an organization like Human Rights Watch that is an international organization and has um, you know, certain audiences and resources, really, we try to do the work to bolster what civil society is already doing, fill in the gaps in areas where it might be more dangerous for civil society organizations to be doing certain kinds of work that is easier for an international organization to be doing, particularly since we're not based in Yemen. Um, and I think we have really worked to be a partner with civil society organizations to to fight for accountability and justice on the international stage because it the situation is absolutely unacceptable. There has been countless violations throughout this conflict and absolutely no accountability or justice for the thousands of Yemenis that deserve justice, the millions of Yemenis that deserve justice. Um, just last month in July, uh, over 70 Yemeni civil society organizations launched the Yemen Declaration for Justice and Reconciliation and this is really, really critical to be highlighting because they have gone forth and, and really come together after months of discussions to lay out what exactly they hope to see in a post-conflict truce and a post-conflict Yemen. And so right now, our, our major goal on the accountability and justice front is really pulling those goals into the fore and really discussing it with states that we have access to, to try to you know, push states to take what they what Yemeni civil society has stated um, and take action and ensure that people are given accountability that they deserve. Great. Um, how can the findings from your research and the work of Human Rights Watch contribute to raising awareness about the forgotten war in Yemen and mobilizing support for change? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I... I think, unfortunately, um, for a variety of reasons, this war has never been given the attention it deserves. Uh, in large part, you know, there's so many different parties, so many different states that are involved in this war that are some of the wealthiest and most powerful states in the war in the world. And so, at every single corner, they have blocked um, any form of justice from occurring. They have blocked journalists from covering. What needs to be covered in the conflict there's there's so many you know trickle down effects that come from who the warring parties in this conflict are and what that means about the attention that the violations and that victims are getting um i think where an organization like human rights watch comes in is really trying to fill in the gap and raise awareness that otherwise isn't happening you know at the moment very it's not about um, picking and choosing between different awful events that are happening in the war, but you know, to be completely honest, uh, the Ukraine war has taken any little attention that did exist on Yemen away from it. And that's true for MENA, you know, widely. Um, even knowing the journalists across MENA, so many of them are in Ukraine at the moment, covering what's going on there versus covering what's going on in the region, and that comes from you know who 
what audiences want to talk about and what audiences want to hear and what different governments um, are pushing for and what brings money in. And so I think having an organization that's independent and that has resources uh, allows us the opportunity to be able to come in and again, shed light and be loud about certain issues that otherwise will not get any attention. And again, raise awareness on the things that Yemeni people from within Yemen have been calling for for years and just are not getting the attention that they deserve. Thank you for that. So Nico, um, given the complex and um, ongoing nature of the conflict, what do you envision as a pathway towards lasting peace and improved human rights conditions in Yemen? I really do think that this is the question that civil society, and I, I don't mean to keep um, repeating this term civil society when it means, you know, it, it really is like a fabric of a, a portion of Yemeni society um, mm. that has done what they can to come together throughout this conflict and, and document and really, you know, fill in the gap that we keep discussing. But um, I think they have really laid out their vision for peace in, in this declaration that they've published a month ago. And I think that's what all of us need to be following. There needs to be accountability and there needs to be redress for violations. And there cannot, but it is true. Um, Human Rights Watch actually did a report back in 2009 that really delved into this question of, you know, does accountability get in the way of negotiations and does it get in the way of peace um, in moments where you have tense warring parties coming together and trying to make decisions about, you know, um, how to move out of a conflict. And that's the excuse that we get often in the case of Yemen is just let the warring parties come together, let them negotiate. We can deal with the question of accountability later. And yet this report in 2009 that spanned dozens of countries that Human Rights Watch does work in found that conclusively that is not true, um, that in fact you do need accountability as part of the peace process in order for there to be an actual effective peace process. And so in the case of Yemen, we, you know, this it's this isn't the first war that Yemen has experienced or the second or the third. There's been several conflicts that have spanned the last century, mm-hmm. um, in large part because there never was accountability for the prior conflict and for the prior violations that happened. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why we are where we are today. And so to ignore that and to assume that we can move on from this conflict with no real justice is a fallacy and really needs to be addressed before we're able to talk about a real long and sustainable peace. Great. Thank you so much for all your insight. And I really um, want to thank you specifically for joining us all the way from the other side of the world and taking time out. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show sometime. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Farah. Thanks so much for having me. Really grateful I had the opportunity to speak with you all today. You're most welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. So we were just listening to um, a discussion with our guest, um, Nico Jafarnia, um, uh, who's uh, the Yemen Bahrain researcher at Human Rights Watch, uh, where she investigates human rights abuses and violations in both of the countries. Um, very, uh, you know, interesting uh, discussion indeed. Um, um, yeah, exactly. Just before we go um, forward, um, I think a couple of months ago, um, His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Surah Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, 
In relation to the Ukraine and Russia war, he, he had um, uh, requested for prayers um, and appealed for prayers. And it, just in one of them, he had mentioned that we should pray that Allah the Almighty gives sense to the governments of both parties and that they may desist from spilling the blood of humanity. Hmm. And he also added that Muslims should learn a lesson from how the Western world has become one in the current world war. Yeah. Muslims, on the other hand, are never united. Despite professing the same declaration of faith, Iraq was destroyed, Syria was ruined, hmm. and Yemen is being devastated. Yep. Not only are they Muslim countries doing so with their own hands, they are in fact instigating non-Muslims too in destroying the Muslim countries. Yep. This is what they are doing instead of uniting. The Muslims should at least learn a lesson in unity from the West. Yep. So, you know, that's what we see. There is There's a unity in the West. The West, yeah, although they're not, they are not Muslim countries, there mm. is some sort of unity or some sort of, you know, when it comes to war, they stand up and try to unite the countries or yeah. try to stop. Whereas the Muslims and the Islamic teachings of, of, of unity and we're having the same kalima, the, the, the same faith, um, we are... Un- so different we are so apart we are fighting with each other mm-hmm. we are destroying our own countries and that is was an appeal of prayers for for a wake up call for the muslim countries yeah uh, you follow the west in so many other things yeah um follow their culture their custom etc we should follow in their in this this practice of theirs that they are uniting during the wars yeah so a muslims country should also unite yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, especially when when you truly um, are worried of your fellow uh, brothers who have the same faith. If you don't care about them, you know, then you don't have humanity at all. We learn from uh, the Western nations that they are united um, when it comes to war. And if if you Muslims are fighting against each other, they will never be you know, unity amongst the Muslims. There will there will never be peace in the Muslim um, Ummah or in Muslim nation, right? The, 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 and and this is this is why, you know, and this is happening. These wars, uh, Muslims fighting against each other, Muslim countries being destroyed, um, one by one. This is because. There is no unity in, in, in the Muslims. And this is because, uh, you know, and this is the time when there is a need of the Messiah who will unite the whole mankind under one flag, you know, teaching the right, d- teaching the people of different faiths to come under one flag. And as as you know, that the teachings of Islam and, and all the prophets, they have come. They come from God Almighty. They've come from the same source, for the same source. And the last prophet, uh, with the last law-bearing prophet, not the last pro- prophet, but the last law-bearing prophet who brought the last um, you know, law, he came for the sake of the whole mankind. He came for the whole mankind to unite everyone. Because without religion, people would have no belief at all. They would do whatever they want, and, and and religion itself teaches morality. All the good and bad that we have is from the teachings of prophets. So, 
in order to unite again under the flag of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we have been waiting for so many years. And we as Ahmadis, we have accepted the promised Messiah. And in the previous hour and this hour as well, we have been, you know, quoting his sayings as well. From his sayings, you can learn what sort of teaching he has. And the, the teaching he has is to unite the whole mankind under one flag, the unity. So as long as we do not accept him or his, his, his beliefs, his, his, the things that he has said, you know, there will not be peace amongst the Muslims. Definitely not. And, and, and definitely we can learn from, from others as well that how they are united. Um, we as Muslims, we should be united as well. I mean, uh, we, you know, let's, you know, if you go back to the topic um, in, in Yemen, the war, um, we see that um, on May the 16th, the first commercial flight in six years departed from Sana'a as part of a UN-backed truce reopening Sana'a International. A little progress on opening roads on the on in 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 and around uh, Taiz, Yemen's third largest city, despite UN efforts. Main roads in and out of Taiz have closed since 2015, severely restricting civilian movement and access to essential goods and medicine. Two months truce started in April uh, the second included a provision to open roads in Thais, but healthy authorities rejected the proposal. On July the 3rd, European, European Union delegation to Yemen criticized the healthy authorities' rejection of the proposal. And on July the 26th, hundreds of Yemenis protested in Thais against the healthy authorities' refusal to open and main uh, open the main roads uh, so many things which are happening and then we have um, issues of food insecurity um, inadequate food consumption levels have gradually increased, uh, decreased uh, since September 2022 the World Food Programme uh, March 2023 the Yemen Food Security Updates uh, update shows that around 52% of families in um, uh, the IRG, uh, the IRG controlled areas, and 47% in areas under Sana'a's based authorities still couldn't access adequate diets in February 2023. And food security and malnutrition in Yemen are primarily due to the affordability, um, not availability of food, as Yemen's total food supply depends on the local production. Uh, commercial imports, humanitarian assistance, and food uh, reserves. So, so many, um, you know, issues which in regards to food and then health as well. Nearly 13 million Yemenis have urgent humanitarian health crisis. Uh, uh, 540,000 children under five suffer from severe um, acute malnutrition. You know, one of our guests and the, f- the first guest actually mentioned one of his f- personal ex- you know, experience as well of a child dying because of malnutrition. Um, the World 
Health Organization warned in April 2023 that Yemen's fragile health system is overburned and edging closer to collapse. So many other things involved. Um, you know, we, we can just list them up and, you know, it's never ending. Um, and then this this conflict in Yemen is often referred to the Forgotten War, as you know, we have titled this show as the Forgotten War. Um, and this, you know, earlier as well, we mentioned that it is because of the limited media coverage, um, the overshadowing uh, of the humanitarian crisis by other global events has led to a back a lack of public awareness. Um, it's just uh, it's just um, upsetting. Upsetting to that hear all these. All these. It's just that who who is going to be the voice of this country? Mm-hmm. Who is going to report on these issues? Why is the media, mainstream media, not covering um, as much? Um, why is it that we are on the back foot when it comes to Yemen? Yeah. Why do we have to listen to these sufferings mm-hmm. of these uh, innocent people? Why is nothing being done? Who is going to be the answer of th- of their prayers? Hmm. Um, how would they react? Yeah. So many answers. We would love uh, our listeners to get involved. Um, drop us a message on our social media and we would love to hear what you have to say and what can be done um, for these innocent people in Yemen. Hmm. We would like to conclude our show with a quote of um, His Holiness Hazrat Mizza Masood Ahmed, um, who is the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah be his helper. He says that may Allah have mercy upon the Muslim nations, the Muslims and the Muslim Ummah. This can only happen when they believe in the Imam of the age who was sent for the purpose of uniting the Muslims. May Allah give them sense and understanding. May they reform themselves and may they pray for the world and utilize their resources and means to stop wars rather than playing a part in waging them if you follow the true teachings of islam this war can indeed end if the muslims don't unite if they don't take heed from the caliph of the uh, the uh, of of islam um and if they keep on fighting then there will be no peace at all we only can pray and contribute as much as we can but our task is to keep praying for um, the people in Yemen may Allah, may God give them peace and stability and may Allah end this war in Yemen I would like to thank my fellow brother Noshawan to join me today and also would like to um, thank uh, uh, Nuru Sabah uh, and Farah Mirza who have been contributing to make this uh, show um, possible. Um, uh, and also like to uh, thank uh, Mr. Akib who has been uh, behind the the, um, the tech. Thank you very much to all of you.